Greetings, comic book nerds, and welcome to episode 20 of the Polis Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me as always is Hector, recently back from San Diego Comic-Con and GalaxyCon in Raleigh, so he needs lots of sleep. But welcome, Hector. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that later in the show. Oh, hi. So go ahead and strap yourselves in and prepare yourself, nerds, for We've Got Comic Sign. On today's episode of the Polis Podcast, we've got another full and amazing show for you. We're going to hit the latest news. October is just full of Marvel and DC horror specials. Tom King and the man Mitch reunite for another epic 12-parter with DC. There's a metric ton of X-Men titles coming at you out of San Diego Comic-Con and so much more. All that and our polls from the last two weeks. This is the Polis Podcast. So moving on over into our newsroom of awesome, we have lots of news out of San Diego and a lot of other things just in general going on. But just like we said right off the top of the show, um, just about everybody releases cool stuff around October to coincide with uh, Halloween. So usually horror-based zombie stuff, and we mentioned some of that in our last show. But if you didn't know, DC is going to bring back their Secrets of Horror House as kind of their uh, anthology horror for this year. It'll be 80 pages. Apparently, we're going to get Batman as a vampire and all kinds of other craziness. I don't know about you, Hector, but um, the Halloween specials always feel like a hit or miss for me. Sometimes they're like really good, and other times it's like, oh, that that was a thing I paid ten dollars for. Well, anytime you just do a special that doesn't actually hold like continuity, it can be really hit or miss. I think one of my favorite specials recently was just um, not this summer special. I don't think I got this summer special, but the 2018 summer special for DC was like great and i want to say that uh last year's marvel horror one was really good um yeah no i i think that is true uh last year i seem to recall i think we actually said probably somewhere towards the beginning of this show because october is kind of our unofficial birthday so we're, we're approaching year one here in the next couple months but um yeah i remember marvel being really good last year and my favorite, like, random one-off was the DC Winter Special, which was a Swamp Thing special from a few years ago now. So Yeah, that yeah, was great, that, though. That it just kind of depends on the creative team's editorial, and so just keep your eyes out in October that DC's going to bring you Secrets of Horror House. Either way, I'm picking that bad boy up because Vampire Batman, I, I just... Want to, I want to know. And once again, for those people that like uh, pronunciation, Chris Poirier is saying horror. Um, <laughs> I don't want to enunciate. How dare you? So he is referring to horror, the genre of scary things going on. Oh, why do we have to beat? Yeah, he, he's not wrong. So also from the wonderful folks at DC Comics, uh, Tom King and Mitch, uh, have announced their next 12 part maxi. So they gave us Mr. Miracle, which was amazing. And we now know that their next joint effort is going to be a 12 part Adam strange story, which 
a lot of folks probably have absolutely no idea who Adam Strange is, which means that kind of like Mr. Miracle, that it's one of those kind of old school niche areas of DC continuity that is going to be fun to just explore. And I, I don't know a lot about this. They've given us two preview covers and we know that it's going to be Adam Strange, which, ah, so for all you fans out there that just love Tom King and the work that Mitch and him have done together, you, you don't have to wait very long. More stuff is coming in the not too distant future. Well, that's the thing. I was excited. I've always enjoyed Mr. Miracle a little bit. Um, I've always been a big Barda fan, uh, ever since she really, uh, um, got, was involved with the secret six. Um, and, and so I went into Mr. Miracle more so as like, okay, that's big Barda's husband. And I was down for that. You know, <laughs> right. Like, uh, just, just something about it kicked off. Cause we had barely gotten started with Tom King's Batman when that happened. So right. no, everyone was still trying to figure out what his Batman was going to look like. Basically, folks, all they had in their repertoire would have been the Vision, really, and a handful of uh, Sheriff of Babylon and some other things. But yeah, it. what are we getting? And we kind of learned a lot together about Tom and his writing style. But it, Tom King alone wasn't enough to get me to read Mr. Miracle. But um, it, you know, is just something about the way they promoted that book that made me want to read it and i'm super glad i did um but telling me that tom king and mitch gerards are doing an adam strange book isn't enough to make me read adam strange like out the gate like i'm gonna go ahead and say i'm hesitant just because i give zero poops about adam strange and um at best to me he's always been a lame filler character so oh well, uh, I mean, that's that's not unfair. Um, the whole Rand Thangar war, I'm like, I've never cared. Um, and so if they're going to take this and actually make Adam Strange something I give a care about, bravo. <laughs> Surprise me. I look forward to what you're going to do if that actually works. But uh, this is this is me publicly stating I'm on the fence. So. Yeah, for those of you that need to write this down, a major DC project that has just been announced. Hector is kind of like, eh. You can yep. you can write that down, and we'll find out whether he actually gets to own that, or he comes back to us and telling us about how incredibly amazing it truly is. Which, so you can write this. You can write this down. Which uh, and I'll talk about it when I'm talking about Galaxy Con. But I had to uh, publicly eat my words. About some stuff I'd said about on the podcast at GalaxyCon. So, yeah. So, keeping everybody accountable, Hector and I record ourselves into the ether each and every other week occasionally. And then people call us out in public, which means we are fallible. We are human. And, well, we're kind of sorry. So, following up on some other Marvel... Yeah, eh, some other Marvel news. We did mention the Marvel Zombies one-shot coming in October. And what we now know is that it's going to be called Marvel Zombies Respawn. And yeah. that's about all the extra information that we currently have. But at least we now know that Marvel Zombies isn't going to be a mini or even a maxi. It's just going to be a one shot. And so they're going to tell their story and get out. So zombies, you got them. 
So as kind of my last piece of Marvel goodness for this week, I, I just have to say this because we're going to talk about it later. And as everybody's been listening leading up to this particular show, we've been waiting for House of X and the reboot of the X-Men line at Marvel. And then San Diego comes rolling along before the book comes out. And if we all remember leading up to this Correct moment. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. The reboot of the X-Men line happened less than a year ago already, right? Oh, yeah. No, this is one of those things that we haven't spent a ton of time in current continuity, but yeah. Because um, I, so, I have a friend that's, uh, <laughs> I bought their kid X-Men number one because he was born on the day it was released, and that kid's well, still cool. pooping in diapers. So, <laughs> <laughs> oops. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So... As this was originally set up, we were told that Hickman was going to take over the line and that supposedly he got his way, that he was going to nuke the line to tell this amazing story, and that was going to kick off with House of X and was going to focus on two primary books mostly on telling what he was hoping was going to be his big offering into the X-Men line. And then San Diego rolls around and Marvel's like, oh... Did you enjoy your Hall H experience of all those wonderful movies that we told you about? And we all kind of drooled and, you know, dried off our keyboards after watching everything that they threw at our faces for uh, the MCU phase four stuff and said, how about we give you somewhere between five and six brand spanking new X books to go along with these new other X books, which fans that this should come as no surprise and Chris's humility is not going to be very low on this one of, I kind of told you so that whenever they announce they're only going to do a couple books of something, Marvel seems to have this thing where they can't help themselves and they immediately launch like seven titles that six of will be canceled within three months. But for those of you that are really happy about the X-Men line, I sit here continually going, I really want them all to be good. I really want them all to be good. Um, but it's really hard to get excited about a line when you haven't even gotten to your first issue and we already know there's going to be almost eight other connecting books. Um, that just makes my head hurt as a reader. And if I'm paying $3.99 to $4.99 a comic, you know, do the math. That's if I just want to read X-Men. Ugh. But they're going to bring back Excalibur. They're restarting New Mutants. X-Force is restarting. Um, there's a new book called Marauders. And I think the other one's called Fallen Angels. There's a bunch of old school 80s and 90s X-Men stories that they're going to revisit. So the other side of this same coin is there's a metric ton of X-Books coming our way in the next couple months. So if you're that X-Men fan that's been waiting for the 90s to be a thing again, it looks like your day is coming because Marvel is just like, and you get an X book title and you get an X book title. So the X-Men are back y'all. And uh, did they leave? there's just going to be a metric. T- <laughs> I when guess did they, they didn't leave, leave but the did ones that we might have forgotten. back? What happened? I mean, some of them did because some of those other X books got canceled already. Um, like I said, they restarted X-Force not that long ago, even less amount of time than when they re- renumbered the main lines in blue and gold and astonishing. So for those of you that have absolutely no idea what we're talking about in X-Men continuity, welcome to the club. 
X-Men continuity probably remains one of the most convoluted, confusing things in comics between movies and the regular books. So yeah, it's, it's a good time to be a fan, I suppose, because there will certainly be no lacking of content. And that's what I've got on my news sheets. What else kind of jumped out at you, Hector? I know you had a couple things. I mean, well, you were at San Diego, so you can talk about that later. But tell tell us about some of the things that you are getting excited about that's on the news. Well, um, more Tom King, because I'm contractually ob- obligated to mention Tom King in every paragraph. Um, at least three to four times an episode. <laughs> yes. Uh but it is announced that DC is doing a New Gods movie, and Tom King is co-writing the screenplay for the New Gods movie. Um, I guess I'm excited about that. I don't know. I'm not, to be fair, I'm not really excited about the idea of DC putting time and effort into a New Gods movie right now. Um, I really feel like we have better things to do and more important things to fix than hey to man, focus. Hey you man, respect, you respect the fourth world. Um, the fourth world's fine, but it's not the world I'm concerned about right now. Um, let's fix the people with capes and then worry about the fourth world. Um, but honestly, like Tom King writing it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Give Tom King a chance to write a new gods movie, making a new gods movie right now. I don't know if that's the way to go. Um, like the only thing I know on our docket of DC films is Birds of Prey, which, um, okay, I'm interested. I will watch it, obviously. I'm really excited to see what Ewan McGregor is going to do with Black Mask. Um, uh, to see if he can actually make Black Mask more than just a trope. And uh, so I'm excited for that, but we've got that and Wonder Woman 1984. What else have we got going on? Um, DC-wise. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of people did kind of come out the other side of San Diego and go, DC, hello, hello. Well, DC did a lot, but they did not do a lot on the movie front. Like, uh, I I sat in on the world premiere of the Titans versus Teen Titans Go premiere um, and got the, you know, the cast was all there doing their thing. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad we're doing this, but can we get some movie news? Uh, Is that a thing? (laughs) But, you know. I was like, I'm, I was not disappointed with my hour of, you know, Robin fart jokes and the things, but you know, I, I want Hec- more. Hector is an incredibly classy human being and we're reminded of it on a near daily basis. Yes. Um, but I, I wanted more from that, but you know, I'm, I, I just don't, I'm not super confident in the idea of new gods being a next step for us right now. Um, you know, so they're not the superheroes that we need right now. Maybe we do deserve them. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we're also getting, you know, Suicide Squad too. But wh- what? I mean, where? Mm. Anyway, uh, so that's a thing. But on things that are also coming out, we are getting season two of Doom Patrol and Teen Titans, or not Teen Titans, but Titans. Um, we're getting season two of Doom Patrol and Titans, and we're also getting uh, season four of Young Justice. So, out of all of the new stuff that has been premiered on DC Universe, uh, everything is being continued thus far except Swamp Thing. Um, 
and DC is doubling down hard on their uh, Harley Quinn animated series that's going to be very adultish. Um, at San Diego, they had a uh, interactive experience where you got to walk through Arkham and hear from all of the uh, all of the different inmates of Arkham, like in reference to the Harley cartoon, and that was cool and all. Um, and some of the stuff they do with these characters we've never seen before. Um, like you've some classic DC characters you have never seen these villains be treated in this manner. Um, and so that's going to be, yeah, some of the stuff they do with King Shark and Clayface and things like that. Like, uh, this, like (laughs) Clayface threw me off guard. Um, like this might be really entertaining just with the, without Harley being the focal point. Um, but, you know, DC Universe has really stepped their game up. And one of the things, too, is they, at at the booth, they were, at the DC Warner Brothers conglomerate of mecha thing they had there, uh, there was a deal that if you signed up for DC Universe, you got posters every day, and you also got four covers of DC Universe shows, comic books, like special covers. And um, I wanted the covers because I like the things. And uh, I straight up asked the DC Universe representative, I was like, look, just level with me. Why would I sign up for your streaming service if it's more than likely going to be canceled and absorbed by Warner Brothers within a year? And the dude just looked at me with um, no flinch whatsoever. He was not phased by my question. He said, we're not going anywhere. We wouldn't be offering a year subscription if we had any plans of shutting down. We will be here. Um, Yay. So now that came from... Give us Swamp Thing back. Yeah. Um, Man, and if you've seen some of the recent Swamp Thing stuff, dude, the visuals are so impressive. Um, Like, there was a scene I just saw on Facebook of uh, an autopsy scene, and I'm like, this is flipping gorgeous. But either way... I know in recent things I've said that my concern was that Swamp Thing is going to go away. Or not Swamp Thing, but DC Universe is going to go away. It looks like, according to them, if the dude in the random polo that probably doesn't know anything um, is just hired to stand there. But if, if random dude in the polo at the DC Universe booth is to be trusted, uh, the service isn't going anywhere. So, there you go. Bless you, polo shirt dude at San Diego Comic-Con. Hopefully... You have seen the future, and we will follow you there. Oh, uh, well, that appears to be the news. And as always, you can join in the conversation with Hector and I and all of your other nerdy friends on the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community. Just search for Love Thy Nerd community there on the Book of Faces. Hit join and begin your incredibly geeky adventure together with us tell us what you liked what you hated and possibly even some of the things that we missed believe it or not hector and i cannot be in all places at all times no matter how hard we try and however many infinity gauntlets we attempt to assemble um different story but join us in community we love to hear what you guys think is interesting and well you know where you differ with us because that's the joy of community Moving right along with the podcast, let's get to what we've been pulling, and the last couple weeks have been pretty 
amazing with some pretty crazy titles. So, Hector, how about you start us off and let us know what you got in your pool? Well, um, for one thing, I got uh, Curse of the White Knight, uh, Batman Curse of the White Knight, which is the follow-up to... But of course. But of course. There really wasn't a discussion um, uh, in checking that out. And um, if you've listened to the podcast a while, you know that I got an inside scoop from Sean Murphy uh, back in the spring uh, where he laid out what the book was going to be about to me and my daughter at a con. And uh, so we've been waiting on this and seeing, you know, what's coming with this for a while. And I have to say, I wasn't disappointed by the book. Um, I dig the whole historical aspect and that they're putting the uh, Joker versus Wayne feud pit of fates back 300 years. That's a cool little, you know, tidbit. Um, and uh, bringing in this uh, veteran uh, <laughs> chunky uh, old weathered Lebowski looking Azrael into the mix to uh, become the new foil for Batman's issues has been good. Um, I'm also it's also an interesting take to see the Joker responding to everything that took place when Napier had control of his faculties. Um, that was really interesting to me that when I hit that part, I was like, Oh, we're going to resolve this of like crazy jokers. Like, yeah, forget that guy. He doesn't speak for me. Yeah. And that's, you know, I I don't know that I love that, but I don't hate it. Um, no, it was interesting to see it at least begin to be somewhat resolved or maybe we'll find out more, but clearly the difference between the two personalities in the one person being played out so that was good and i'm looking forward to see what they do with Azrael. and you know seeing the joker manipulate someone is you know standard fare um <laughs> but you know I- i'm interested in it um i wasn't disappointed yeah so there's that uh, a book that uh is not necessarily on the radar that uh i picked up this week uh i met a dude at San Diego, named Mario DiMatteo, if I'm saying that right. Um, I was sitting on the floor at San Diego, letting my phone charge and my feet to stop hurting. And I saw a dude in a Humble Beast sweatshirt, like, jotting stuff down. And I'm like, oh, this must be one of the guys I'm working with. And um, <laughs> I was like, there, if you're in a Humble Beast sweatshirt in San Diego at Comic-Con, you probably are on a Christian panel. Um and so I saw this dude and we got to talking and uh, this dude wrote a graphic novel called Paul the Apostle, a graphic novel. Um, and it takes the story of the Apostle Paul and puts it in a Star Fox to a World of Warcraft style of sci-fi. So, like, it's... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, it's straight up just the story of Paul and his journey. I mean, and it's not even, like, allegory or... Um, it, it's not metaphor. It's not Narnia. It's straight up just the gospel content 
but with the visual and social setting of anamorphic futuristic sci-fi characters as the backdrop. So it's literally like um if there was a kid uh in big church listening to a preacher preach about Paul and he pulled out some action figures and narrated the story with it. Um and I say that not in a negative context. Um the art is really good. Um Actually, if you're familiar with web cartoons and comics, the art strikingly reminds me of Control-Alt-Delete. Um, if you're familiar with that online comic strip. Um, this straight looks like the dude from Control-Alt-Delete drew it. Um, so I, I enjoy it. Um, so if you want something fun to read, a uh, biblical but funky cool book um mario de mateo also uh ben avery and mark Harmon worked on it as well and um but it's just paul the apostle and you know the links will be in the notes for the show but uh i checked that out and i had a blast with it and um uh from what he told me they also have uh one on peter coming and uh they're going to continue in the same anamorphic futuristic style and uh i think if i'm not mistaken there was a Old Testament book they're doing as well. Um, I can't remember what the Old Testament book was, but that's coming up. So that was a that was a fun, not on my radar book. That when I'm sitting on a panel talking with dude, he's telling me about it. I'm like, okay. Um, another one was Domino Hotshots. That miniseries has concluded, and uh, man, I liked it. Uh, I'm really not looking forward to a world. Where Gail Simone is not writing Domino. Uh, I like, I can consistently say for a long time now, Gail Simone writing Domino has been one of my favorite things. Um, you, you, I'm consistently sure if you pop into every episode, you'll find that somewhere. Um, that what she does with the humanity, with the faith, the camaraderie, um, of the character. I have just really enjoyed it. And they finished the series and the whole thing of hot of Domino hot shots was that a Domino and her little ragtag group of friends and traitorous associates get their hands on a God level item that gives people godlike powers. And they've brought into their mix, black widow and a female warrior from Wakanda along with Domino's normal team. And it was just a five episode. Dang. There's normally, she's got two friends that are normally on her team. Um, uh, they, I mean, they're basically her family, which is Diamondback and it's a cowgirl. <laughs> I forget her name. Inez. Um, like, I mean, like she's basically Applejack from my little pony, but with Hulk strength. Um, but you know, they brought in black widow and a female Wakanda warrior. Um, who uh, something with bear in her name. And then they brought in a Korean spy named silver Fox. Um, either way, some of these characters felt like filler, but they kept padding her team out, but it was just a really, really solid book. So if you pick up anything that Gail Simone has written with Domino, it's worth reading. Um, and you know, she really picked up that right when a uh, Deadpool two was coming out in theaters and, 
Uh, it's been a solid, solid read since then. And I, that miniseries just ended. I don't know what's next. Is Do you know if anything's next with her and Domino? I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. I've not heard anything in the in the near term, at least. Yeah, so uh, enjoy what you've gotten. Read it and have fun with that. And then uh, the other thing I want to hit is that uh, Detective Comics 1008. Um, that's a lot of numbers, yo. Um, that's a lot of numbers. Chris, why don't you tell everybody like what the peoples have been saying about this book? So I have to at least start with the disclaimer of I did not read this book because Detective's always been hit or miss for me, but... Um, Hector had mentioned to me earlier in the week that he had a very specific opinion on said book. It is a year of the villain, um, tie in. So DC has this year of the villain kind of overarching event kind of going on alongside event Leviathan and all, and the stuff going on in mainline Batman and flash. And there, there's a lot going on in DC in general, but this was a year of the villain, story and the the retail community just couldn't get enough of it that oh this was under ordered one of the most amazing books ever to hit um dc shelves and it was like walking dead 193 we didn't realize it was coming and i was like oh this must have been freaking amazing hector you normally read this book what did you think about it this book was hot garbage um well that that happened (laughs) um Straight up, I mean, it is a Joker-centric book. It's one of the first Batman-Joker stories we've gotten since the wedding. Like, it's just the yep. two of them. So I think issue, the the arc called The Best Man, which was like issue 49, and or issue 48 and 49. 48 and 49, is, yep. Where the Joker kidnapped a church and killed a bunch of people in a church, and apparently nobody cared that that happened. Um, yeah. Still weirded out. I talked about that at my panel on Saturday <laughs> that nobody even mentioned that. Um, but it's been a while since we've had a Batman Joker story. And I'm going to tell you this. It felt like something I would have gotten in a Happy Meal. Like if you printed a generic comic book to give cheaply with a kid's Happy Meal, this is that book. Um, like... You know, if you go in a Dollar wow. General or a Family Dollar or some generic store and they have some really badly drawn uh, word, like like fourth grade level worded book. That... Ooh, tell me how you really feel, Hector. <laughs> this is a DC book you're talking about, right? I don't care. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> um, th- this wow. felt like something my daughter would have picked up at the book fair and I made her return because it was badly written. Um, so (gasps) wow, I was not a fan. I was just utterly disappointed in this book that this is what we got. Um, so (laughs) there's my thoughts where, right. (laughs) Um, yeah, I was disappointed. This was enough to make me not pick up detective for a while. Um, so there was a you know introdu- there was an introduction they're doing something with Mister Freeze at the end um, that ties more. In the- now the little thing with Mister Freeze at the end, I'm more interested in that than what I have with the book. But this straight up was like, yeah, it was bad action figure theater. So wow. Well, now that we know that Hector has an opinion, and if he falls off the face of the planet, we can blame someone from DC or generally from the retail community, but interesting but 
on the flip side of the same coin, um, Batman 75, City of Bane, we're finally out of the proverbial desert, literally. <laughs> proverbial um, and literal desert, yeah. Um, and we're no longer dragging coffins around with us. Or having enter, nightmares. Right. So enter Batman 75, where we go back to Gotham, and holy wow, Batman. Um, so... You've heard us talk about it because it's been titled and it supposedly was, you know, we're now we're closing in on the end game for Tom King with 85 supposedly being the end before some standalone issues. And so City of Bane is the arc that is started in 75 and we get back to Gotham and I'm sorry, we're we we're, we're going to talk honest on this one. So if you haven't read it and you want to, this is where you pause the podcast because Good. yeah, we're going to talk about this. Um that we return to Gotham and every, we're in Bizarro World. Not not literally for those of you that know about Bizarro World, but it, it's weird. Everything's inverted, right? So all the villains are running the city. They're part of Gotham PD. It, I this brain this book made my brain kind of fail a few times as I was processing the is this real is it not real thank you tom king for now making me have to debate on what is real or isn't real um because of nightmares and the fact that the dc multiverse is in play here so ow but yeah for real i really i really 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 like where this is potentially going because the batman that i feel we saw most of the time in this was thomas um, which brings me to the, I'm not sure which reality we're in because another story is being sold, told side by side of Bruce, um, kind of trying to go back to the top of the mountain where he was originally trained and, and all that, that I was like, okay, this is a Tom King Batman story I can get behind. Cause there's craziness going on in all corners, but it's just entertaining to watch DC villains in a cop car, get a call for a murder and they go to it basically as cops. If you kill someone, you better do the paperwork. (laughs) Right. That was dope. And and so you got Dr. Strange, um, as the commissioner, Hugo Um, strange, Hugo strange. Yep. You can't call him. We're talking DC. Yes, I can. He's a doctor. That's why they always call him Hugo strange. So we don't end up with that confusion. Uh, but he didn't go to all those years of pretend medical school for nothing. Just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway. Um, yeah. But talking about paperwork and like doing the right thing at these murders, like I'm so happy we have landed somewhere that is so absolutely insane that I am looking forward to the next Batman that after the whole desert thing and the craziness and the nightmares, I was, I was starting to lose hope, but now I'm on a path that I'm like all about what's coming next. Well, Part of me, like my favorite thing was that Gotham Girl, it's Gotham Girl's return. But not only is it Gotham Girl's return, she's Thomas's sidekick. Right. And And makes a ton of Robin jokes. (laughs) Makes a ton of Robin jokes. And she actually looks like she's a little better off than she was the last time we saw her. So uh, um, I I was excited about that. Um, You know, and I... His react, his relationship, the way they work together, actually made me say I would read that book. Like based just on issue seventy five of Batman, I would read a Thomas Wayne, uh, uh, 
Gotham Girl book. I would read that. I would pick that up. You know, she's like, he's like, ETA, seven seconds, make it three. I'm like, I'm like, on my way. I was like, I would read this. This is cool. Um, so yeah, that, that was, was a, exciting. a deeply satisfying Batman experience, which just made it worse in the shadow of Detective 1008. But go on. <laughs> so... To balance out my DC reading experience over the last couple of weeks, though, I did pick up Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number one. Because it was on the shelf and it's Jimmy Olsen, and I've heard that Jimmy Olsen number two is going to have a quasi-significant event in it. Um, but so it was kind of like an annual. It had three or four stories in it. All of them were utterly insane. They were really like off the wall kind of cartoonish, which is kind of the Jimmy Olsen feel, but then ended in this place of like a grounded gritty story, kind of like Lois Lane. So I'm, I honestly don't know where they're going with this book at this point. I'm hoping that was a setup to what's coming and that Jimmy Olsen's going to kind of sit in line with Lois as being kind of gritty because that's where they kind of set the end of that story up. So I'm intrigued, but also <laughs> baffled by what exactly they're doing. It was pretty. There was the stories were kind of crazy, but I've yeah, been off I, of Jimmy Olsen books since I, there was such a Jimmy Olsen focus in the countdown series mm. when you had like 52 issues of Jimmy Olsen with superpowers and it was annoying. So like I think I think I have like countdown PTSD that I just I it you'd have to do something super special. That'd have to be like Tom King and Jim Lee making a Jimmy Olsen book for me to pick it up. Um right? I'd read that book. Yeah. Um all right, go on. <laughs> so um so yeah, I don't know, but I'll pick up number two to at least find out if the book balances or if it's just going to be kind of a strange anthology book, which some people, that's what you're looking for. And it's a good cross-section of crazy. I'll give you that much. Um, I spent the rest of my time reading Marvel books. Um, yeah, you can all calm down. That that happened. Chris said it. Um, and I'm going to say something nice. Uh, Jane Foster, Valkyrie number one, was actually kind of fun. Uh, just based on the setup, I originally wanted to not like it, not going to lie. It seems kind of weird to just be naming random people Valkyrie um, these days. Um, but it wasn't the worst because it's kind of coming off the edges of Jane Foster having previously been Thor while she was battling cancer and all that. And I'm not saying spoiler before that because I'm sorry you've had like a year to catch up. Just because the next Thor movie is it's finally going to address that, it dude. doesn't... It, Two years? Might be two uh, years. That's, dude, I it's, think it's longer than that. It's been a while. Um, so if you're just finding out about it because you heard something about it at San Diego and the MCU, you're behind. Go read that comic series. It was actually really, really good. Yeah. And that's why this transition for Valkyrie actually kind of worked because Jane is kind of looking for that, well, not Thor anymore, but I had the taste of like being able to help people and strength. And she gets named the one of the next Valkyrie and one of the more powerful Valkyrie and some kind of typical Marvel craziness ensues. Um, and this is a setup issue. So it gives you kind of that where she transitions into the Valkyrie role and, everything and finds out what her power is and is not 
And at the end of it, I am going to spoil that part to it because I think it might help you decide whether you want to read this book or not. So you either need to fast forward like 10 seconds right now or just miss this. But we find out that the main first arc is going to be between her fighting Bullseye. Don't fully know why. What? That that's that's the setup. So okay. you get a new Valkyrie in Midgard, out of Asgard, going back to Midgard to fight a uh, bullseye that's riding a unicorn, which sounds like Deadpool, but it's not. So there you have it, uh, Jane Foster Valkyrie number one. Um, I will say, visually speaking, super awesome art. Like this book was gorgeous. So it's not something I typically. Um, read, but it's one of those I'm going to pick up more of because I think it might be on a path. And I really love when Marvel does this well versus phoning it in and trying to make something work. And at least for first issue, looks like pretty solid start. Which brings us to the most important final book of Marvel's importance. And that is the infamous House of X number one of Hickman's beginning of his X-Men adventures. So we normally would do a community poll recommendation here, and I'm just going to save everybody all the time and say everybody in the community told us to read this book. So Hector and I did. And to be completely honest, um, I didn't hate it. Um, It is gorgeous. The art is what I really, really want out of a really good X-Men book. So like if you've been really wanting that really solid X-Men art that kind of has that Jim Lee feel. This book has that feel and it's really awesome. You know what? The art that, felt more to me like yeah. um not that it wasn't Jim Lee, but uh who's the dude that did it during um or Cassidy? Um Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. During Astonishing X-Men with Whedon. It felt like that to me. Yeah. It, it felt okay. like no, it that's felt a good like, comparison. It felt like Cassidy pencils with Williams art. Ooh. with Williams okay. color. So I don't know. I'll, Go ahead. I'll allow, I'll allow it. Um, and so, but as everyone's saying, Oh, this is going to be the book that changes your mind. X-Men, X-Men, X-Men again, gorgeous. Didn't hate it, but going to warn you right now, if you've not been paying attention or even if you, excuse me, have been paying attention. Um, this book was confusing as all get out, which is typically not a great look for a number one. Um, because it's either assuming a great deal of knowledge or is one of those things that we need to discover said knowledge on the way. And there was a lot of text reading required between panels to kind of give you some of the pieces of this new universe and how it's actually functioning and identifying new teams and allegiances and alliances, what mutants go where, how, Hickman is going to inundate us with knowledge for better or worse. And I'm intrigued at least by the setup of this book, but the only thing that seems fairly clear and Hickman has said this at San Diego and a few other times of pretty much most things that came before this book don't matter. So if you were deeply emotionally scarred by anything that occurred, well, apparently you can rip that bandaid off because it's probably not true anymore. So you just have to wait a few issues to find out whether your beloved characters are dead or not anymore. And based on a lot of the team list within the books, apparently most of them are still alive. So don't worry about it. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading. Yeah. I'm going to keep reading, but I, I felt like there was a great deal of knowledge transfer that occurred that even 
for quote unquote seasoned comic book readers, I found it pretty confusing what's going on. But some of that is what Hickman does to try to disorient his his readers. So gonna have to keep reading to find out. What 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 did you take? Because you know, we were both challenged to read this book as we don't typically read in this universe. So how how'd you feel at the end of the day? Um, Professor X was a creepy Willy Wonka that had <laughs> um, magic GNC fruit that um, cure that <laughs> that gives people life or cures diseases or makes life better for non mutants and for mutants it lets you transport anywhere across the world and opens up a magical living island that takes care of mutants because it's a mutant island. That's what I got. Um, if that's not accurate, and and Magneto was Magneto was mostly right. Yeah, Magneto was mostly (laughs) right, and um, but that's that's the gist of it is that um, there's a living island and it produces fruit, and they mutants want to be recognized as a sovereign nation, and they will offer these magic fruit pill drug things to all of the Muggles if they recognize the mutants uh sovereignty and no no that's that's true and they are building a utopia island for the mutants and uh magneto you know tells them hey we're your new gods so uh go ahead and calling out where this is going (laughs) it just feels like this is the big setup for a trap where uh, mutants are going to end up destroying themselves and that this island that they know and love that they are building their whole existence around is going to get twisted and eat them all and we're all going to die. So, I don't know. Like, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, mm, danger. It's a trap. This is a bad life choice. But uh, hey, Whenever Magneto shows up in the white armor, you have to sh- slow down for a minute and really contemplate what's going on. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I, I think I've read enough Grant Morrison books to not be concerned with how little makes sense of what I'm reading. Right. Um, yep. nope. yeah, totally I've, fair. I lived through Final Crisis. Um, <laughs> I've read some stuff. You know, I've seen things uh, and <laughs> I I didn't feel like I struggled, but I watched people I know that read books like this all the time had no flipping clue what was happening. But that's just the gist. There's magic fruit, berry drug things, and it's branching out a new civilization with mutants and they're trying to establish a home. So honestly, it is a lot to comprehend, but it's like a sci-fi movie. That tries to give you the entire backstory before the the title pops up. Yep. No, I, I definitely felt like we were being inundated with data to probably, over the next few issues, be given the meat to how we got there. If, you, um, if you've seen the so, movie version of Ready Player One, how they try to give you what took 10 chapters to explain in the book before the name pops up, this is what that felt like. So, uh, yeah, it's lots, happy- of, lots of information, but it was gorgeous. It was really gorgeous. And I do want to read more to find out whether I'm going to be invested or if it's just too darn weird. I, I think I'm so, invested and I think I'm excited. I want to see w- 
currently where the rest of the X-Men line this. So for you who are interested in this, you pick up House of X, and I believe the other book that you're supposed to read is Powers of X. Is that correct? Right, that one's supposed to be coming. Yep. So House, it's uh, there is a reading guide in the back of this book, and the bulk of the reading is House of X and Powers of X. So if you can, if you can be down to read two X Men books a month, uh, you would be able to get the grit of this story. So I think I'm in. I think I'm down. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, we're so you, you heard it. We're we're in. We're we'll see how it goes as the journey unfolds but so help me if you start pointing me to the eight other x-men books i'm going to lose my mind <laughs> i'll just stop reading yeah that's fair <laughs> well i mean so that's what killed me in my original life of reading comic books is when we got to the spider-man clone wars and i had to buy 43 books i literally just stopped reading comic books because i was tired of it the struggle is real for those of you that know and hopefully the dark days are behind us but we shall see so those are our pulls for these last couple weeks. Lots of interesting things, some not so great things, and some things that are worth continuing our adventure together on. But Hector, I think that leads us up to spending our last couple moments talking about the main event for this podcast. And the main event for this week is going to be Hector just recently went to San Diego Comic-Con and also GalaxyCon, so Hector hasn't been home for a while. But we really want to talk to Hector because San Diego this year was the celebration of 50 years of San Diego being a Comic-Con. But this was Hector's first outing at San Diego, and he got to do some panels and some other amazing things, and it was all based on some of the work that he's done and some friends that he has focused on sharing our faith in that environment. So Hector, how about you give us a little bit of the setup of the how you, we kind of talked about it last time, the group that's sending you, but a brief reminder of the group that brought you out there and then tell us a little bit about the panels that you did at that show. And then we can end our episode talking about you were at GalaxyCon, which was closer to home for you there in North Carolina and you got to do a geek church service, which I think is worth visiting. So tell us about San Diego and some of the panels that you got to do there first. All right. So in general, uh, the people that made it possible for me to be at San Diego was, I, if you're not familiar, which I wasn't, and a lot of people at San Diego weren't, is that uh, the Christian Comic Art Society has been doing spiritual themes in comics panels for 23 years and of the 50 and they've also been doing church services at the show for over 20 years as well. So this one organization, which has clout in the comic in the Comic Con, and when I say Comic Con, I mean Comic Con community, um, is CCAS, and they are the ones that have been running this for decades. And uh, there's a organization in California called Geeky Guys and Gals for God. And uh, they have some ties with CCAS and they had read our books and thought that we would be a valuable contribution uh, to that discussion. And so they, the two organizations teamed together and brought me out to be on the panels. Um, I was on a 
like a discussion meet and greet panel for professional geeky Christians. Um, like the dude that wrote that Paul book that we talked about, um, and some other folks that do that kind of stuff. And what I do with faith and fandom, uh, I was on a spiritual themes and comics panel with a very wide berth of different faiths, um, and spiritual orientations, uh, having discussions and, um, that was really cool. And then Sunday morning we had a, what was normally up until last year, a full blown church service at San Diego. Um, but this year it was more of a discussion of our heart from the different creators. It was me, um, a dude named Luis Serrano that makes uh, Christian geeky books. Um, a lady that uh, books talent agents, the dude Sergio that drew uh, the action Bible. <laughs> like it was really nice. fun just being on stage talking with the dude that drew the action Bible. Um, my little uh, Baptist pastor heart self was pretty excited about that. And um, the, uh, the dude that wrote the Paul book. So we got to just share our faith in those capacities. And then also uh, we passed out a thousand bottles of water in 20 minutes um, to random people at the con. Um, you know, it's one of those things kind of counterbalancing the street preachers and things of that nature to be able just to share the love of God in a practical way. But, uh, it was a great experience. And just to say, if you've not gone, it's worth the experience. You imagine whatever you imagine Comic-Con to be, it's bigger. Um, I go to some pretty big shows in my life and it's one of those things you can't see the end of the room. Like, if you stand at one end, you physically can't see where it ends. Um, whether that be for visual obstruction or whatever else, it's like it's like if you ever played Legend of Zelda, the original, and you're in that maze of trees where if you go the wrong path, it's like the room just starts over. Um, it's like that. You think you've reached the end, and all of a sudden the room just started over and is keep going. So that's what actual the thing is. If you've ever been to Dragon Con, it's very comparable um, in size of the dealer thing, except that it's all in one room. Uh, but the other cool thing is at San Diego, there is more stuff going on outside than inside in a lot of capacities. Um, all the major corporations have free stuff all throughout the city. Like uh, South Park had a full interactive mini golf course um fox sunday animation domination had uh a whole county size carnival um with all of their characters on it walk uh the walking dead had a, a zombified city you could walk through watchmen had a experience where you could be dr manhattan cartoon network had an area adult swim had an area um you know all of the different geeky conglomerates were out there being represented hard. Amazon prime had a whole interactive experience for, uh, the boys and the show with Orlando bloom. Um, there was, there's just a lot going on, a lot of giveaways. There was a Nintendo exhibit where you got to play the newest games. All that stuff was out there. Um, it's just a big, vast, overwhelming experience, but it wasn't bad. Um, I was really grateful to be able to be a part of the 50th San Diego, um, and to share 
the stuff, honestly, just to think that, you know, folks thought my stuff was worth bringing out for me to discuss was really cool. A personal high for me is that, you know, I've been doing comic cons for going on seven years as a artist or vendor. And this was the first time I ever had a badge that said professional. So, you know, I can't get into my local library, but I'm a professional at San Diego. Boom. (laughs) So that's yeah. And it's not to be undersold for folks that don't know, getting a pro status rating at San Diego, New York, and some of the other large comic cons is not an easy undertaking. I've known tons of artists that you usually have to apply year in and year out to see if you get a pro badge or if you get access to having a table, et cetera. And sometimes it's kind of convoluted how those decisions are made or not made, but it's not to be undersold that that, that was a big moment. Um, and you got to do it for your first time out. So, you know, you, you'll get a little crispy golf clap for that one. And you, yeah, good. Um, we're, we're, we're very proud of you in terms of being able to break the mold because as a lot of our folks probably don't know, or maybe some do, that unfortunately the experience for a lot of folks at San Diego is being screamed at by street preachers. And as you saw, and some of our other friends saw, you can even get like sewn patches or even Instagram badges that say, I survived the street preaching at San Diego. So it's cool that you were able to be there as part of the church and faith and voice, but hopefully be a positive experience for goers. Like you said, you got to hand out all that water um, and everything. So kind of in that vein, what did you have any big moments that kind of just stood out to you from your panels that was like, this, this was the thing, or at least made you feel like, yeah, there, there are people that are listening to what you're putting down. Well, uh, there was a few couples that, uh, came up and talked to me. There was a young lady that had a lot of questions that was dealing with church hurt and things like that. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was just being present in that. Like, uh, I think it was probably during the water giveaways. Because, like, the pan- here's the thing about panels. People go to panels either because it's something they already believe in or they're mm-hmm. skeptical and they want to see what's happening. So, yep. it's not, you know, you're not going to reach someone with a panel unless they wanted to come. Um, but there was, you know... The, the, there weren't just the street preachers. I, you know, it wasn't a thing I was aware of. There's also a large quantity of Guy Fox wearing, Guy Fox mask wearing, uh, anti-vax protesters as well. Um, so we okay, wrote, that's a thing. Good. Yep. Um, there were several hundred anti-vaccination protesters in Guy Fox masks with giant signs. It straight up looked like V for Vendetta. Um, but it's V for vaccination. Um, and so people were literally training themselves to avoid eye contact and keep walking and doing all these things. And so like when we're out there and, you know, some of the dudes are wearing shirts that say geeky guys for God, or, you know, I think I was wearing a faith and fandom hat. And it was like, if you were paying attention, you could tell who we were with. We weren't like advertising it, but, um, you know, we we're just saying ice cold water and it was pretty hot at that point. We were doing it and everything. And like people were really hesitant to even let their guard down a moment. Uh, and then, you know, once they actually saw what was happening, a lot of people actually walked past us at first, but then circled back um, when they saw that it wasn't a trap. 
Uh, and so that was just a cool experience. A lot of people like let their guard down and I said, Hey, thank you. God bless you for what you're doing. Stuff like that. Um, and that's a positive thing. You know, it, it really is like uh, Jars of Clay a long time ago had a song called Small Rebellions. Uh, that's simple, brutal acts of kindness is how they refer to it in the song. And, um, you know, I just think those little moments actually make a positive impact in the kingdom of God. Uh, so that was a lot of San Diego. And then, um, you know, I talk a lot about more on my individual podcast. If you want to check that out too, I don't want to eat up all of your time with that, but it was a really solid experience. I felt really honored to go and, um, you know, if the opportunity's ever given to me again, I would probably jump back on it. But, uh, man, I was crazy grateful to just be able to be a part of that and um, to be, you know, out there with those guys that are doing that stuff year in and year out. So that was really neat. And, um, you know, GalaxyCon uh, has become, over the last three years, uh, the largest Comic-Con in the Carolinas. Um based just on the numbers from this year, they surpassed uh heroes con as the biggest attended. Um, like that, that happened this weekend. Um, and they've restructured, they've rebranded, they've done a lot of things, uh, with their name. And one, you know, well, you have to apply for panels a while out. And, uh, one of the panels I apply, I, I usually do a, faith and fandom panel, which is just a discussion panel where we openly discuss spiritual themes and comics, um, you know, on a, you know, broad scale where everybody can share their thoughts and it's a discussion thing. Um, but you know, I tell the people up front, like, look, uh, this is open. This is, I'm not going to preach or anything or do like that, you know? And usually people are a lot more prone to give you a panel if that's what you're doing. If you're just going to discuss it and not actually put your personal spin on it, then they're a lot more prone to do it. And, you know, I usually try and do that just to say to, you know, your fandom can be an encouragement and you don't need to hide and, you know, things like that. But uh, I applied to do a full-blown geek church at this one. And uh, it was kind of funny. The guy who was over all the programs called me like four or five months ago. Um, because he wanted to feel me out before he said yes. He basically wanted to see if I was going to be trouble or if I was going to harass people. I think he wanted to get a vibe for my attitude. Um, he's like, I just wanted to see what was up with this. And I was like, dude, I promise it'll be positive. It'll be encouraging. It'll be straight Caleb, bro. I'm like, I don't think he got the joke. Um, but uh, uh, Caleb. Yeah. Google that. Um, and, but I told him, you know, There'll be music. There'll be a message. I will teach from the Bible, but I promise it will be encouraging to whoever's in there. And um, so I ended up doing like Reckless Love. And I put like, there's a point in Reckless Love during the bridge where it's like, there's no shadow you won't light up, mount you won't climb up coming after me, no wall you won't kick down. So I like put some comic book panels just on the sides of the PowerPoint. Like I put the shadow when it says there's no shadow, you won't light up and no wall. You won't kick down. I had Hulk kicking down a wall, just, just little humor with that. But, um, and then I actually delivered a message on, uh, the walking dead One Ninety Three, of, you know, about how 
sometimes we give up when the end is right around the corner. We give up too soon. You know, I just talking about trying to encourage people to not to give up and that God actually has a purpose for their life and encouragement. And, um, which is really funny. Uh, my church on Sunday morning does two services at home and, uh, there are more people at geek church at comic-con at galaxy con on Sunday than there were at my church on Sunday in an individual service. Um, so, <laughs> um, like the dude who does my attendance and keeps record at my church was like, bro, you had more people at yours than ours. And, um, it was a really good experience. And, uh, I had a lot of people come by my booth afterwards just to say that, you know, they had been watching what I was doing for years and they were hesitant because they were worried, you know, that I was going to come at them or that it was a trap. I mean, it's the same thing of people being apprehensive to trust people of faith because they've been hurt before. Um, I think my overall biggest experience from GalaxyCon, and I'll wrap this up because I know we're running short on time. Um, there was a young lady named Sarah, or she told me to call her Sarah. Um, there was a young lady named Sarah who was raised in a very strict faith-based background who has not been to church in a long time. Um, but she was raised very strictly and, uh, because of just the choices she made to go to college and be an engineer, her family in a lot of ways abandoned her and her church community abandoned her. And it was just a lot, like it was some crazy stuff. And she, uh, said that like my hero academia was the one thing that's kept her going through college, that that Deku's constant perseverance was what made her not quit when she was struggling so hard. And we got to talk for a long time about faith and everything else and how hard it can be sometime and how isolating our faith community can be when people are struggling in situations. And there were just a lot of people I got to talk to this weekend about that. And, you know, it, it totally, I, I came home feeling like I was in the right place and got to have a lot of good conversations. So that was, you know, the biggest, I mean, that was my favorite part. I mean, there's crazy things like the voice of Deku and the voice of Vegeta and All Might and voice of Goku were there. The original voice of Ariel from the Little Mermaid was there. The um, Prince Humperdinck was there. Um, I mean, there was, there was a lot of people, uh, Tim Curry was there and David Tennant and Stanley from the office. I mean, there was a ton of celebrity ish people there and comic book writers. Like, I think this is the first time I've been in the same room with Ed McGinnis and, uh, you know, just a lot of big names in the comic book industry were there. But I think like my favorite thing was just the fact that I got to have a platform to really speak the love of God to some people who are struggling with that in that culture and climate where they feel like God and all of his family are against them. So that, that was a big, and that's, and honestly, that's what happened, what the goal of both shows were and what we do in general was being able to do that. And, uh, I wore my love thy nerd shirt when I preached on Sunday. Whoa. So whoa, whoa. Ooh, yep. People tried to buy the shirt off me yeah. at the booth and I'm like, Get- I don't have these. Get um, get that get that bread. Wait, we don't get paid. No, for we this, don't get paid for you, this. <laughs> you can you can you can go to the website and buy yourself a really snazzy t shirt. Can't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that was that was my experience, and uh, this concludes my Comic Con season. Uh, I've been on the road a lot lately, and uh, 
I have a couple small little itty bitty shows um, in August and September, but I really don't have another big show until October, which is nice to be able to breathe and do some stuff. Yes. Rest, rest is good. We definitely appreciate those things, but yeah, no folks, uh, Hector, I, we're thankful for you to be along as part of the ride here. And of course I'm personally thankful for you, my brother, because you, by the way, you had people like missing you. Aww. Um, like you, there were people asking for you and that they were sad you weren't there and all sorts of things. Aw, I, I have talked to a lot of folks that have been missing me from the Carolinas and I do miss a lot of my con fam, which we've talked about here on the show that it's true that we create relationships in our cool fandoms and nerdy little conclaves as we travel the nation. And it's neat to see where people are at and folks that are missing you and everything. But it, we just, I wanted to give this opportunity for Hector to share a little bit and go over time a little bit for this episode, just so you can hear our hearts and the things that we really focus on. And Hector has been spending, you know, he's in book six, seven years of faith and fandom and being able to be that voice in a community that is used to unfortunately hearing an otherwise fairly negative, um, voice from the church. So just like with Love Thy Nerd and a lot of the work that we do at shows is we just want to love on our nerdy neighbors and show that it's not about beating people up. And a lot of us have had, unfortunately, bad experiences at one point or another, but that's that's not the church that that's not the Church of Christ. That's not the church that Hector and I um, represent and a lot of folks like us. And most of the time, we're just, we just want folks to take that opportunity to get to know us and tell us their stories. And the best part about fandoms is there's a lot of different ways to share those stories and to understand them, just like that person was telling you about how My Hero helped them, that I had this conversation with another pastor recently about the concept of we, we read into mythology and stories based upon how our lives go, the lenses from our experiences. So we are constantly, as people, typically looking for a story that makes us, you know, want to pick up ourselves or we can relate to. And it's just awesome that we're able to do so with not just the pop culture that's around us, but the awesome part about the realities of the gospel is that those, God gets it. He understands what a lot of us are going through and, What's neat about the ministries that Hector's been working on and folks that love Thy Nerd and myself over the years is we kind of make it being able to bridge those gaps and show people what it's all about. So we do want to thank everybody for coming along on this ride with us because it's pretty wild and... We know that we sometimes go deep like we did today on faith, and sometimes we don't, and that's because that's life. It just depends on how the things ebb and flow. But for us, that's going to be it for episode 20 of the Pull List Podcast. It's in the can and now in your ears, but we couldn't possibly do all of this alone. As many of you know, and we've mentioned in this episode, we take this epic journey of podcast and fandom with two other amazing podcasts here on the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. First one being Humans of Gaming with Drew and Chris, where they do interviews with game designers, producers, and creators, and they really get into the heart of what makes those folks tick. Why did they create the things that they do, and how does life influence the things that they do? And the other show is the Free Play Podcast, and Bubba, Matt, and Kate talk just about everything nerdy week to week that you can imagine from video games to pop culture on your TV or just things going on in general. And it's pretty fun. It's pretty humorous. And you should just 
check out any of those things, you can find them all on lovethynerd.com. So Hector and I, once again, we just want to thank you all for choosing us as your primary source of all things comic booky and generally nerdy on a near weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on any of your favorite podcasting apps of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and so many other things. We're just thankful to have you all along for the ride and to experience this crazy thing called life with us. So thanks for listening. And remember, kids, as Hector and I always remind you, read more comics. Seven continents is a game of risk.